All right, and to warm up here, we're going to talk Champions League draw, Europa League draw. We're going to talk some college sports, both basketball and football, and go through all the news uh, from those different areas. And yeah, I mean, we'll start with Europa League just because I'm not going to do too much into it. You know, I think, you know, it, it starts off, the knockout round starts with a round of 32, and that to me is ridiculous. It's like, Ugh, my goodness, it, it, it's just 32 teams competing for knockout football. It just at some point you're like, why do all these teams need to play? Like you've made too many groups. A lot of these these teams aren't knockout worthy teams. And I get it. You want representation. But I, I, I just think that round of 16 is the most that it should ever go. You know, I just don't do you think, Jan, I, I don't mean to interrupt, but if Jose Mourinho came out this week and was like, saying how he doesn't think Champions League third place group guys should should make the Europa League. Do you think that's the solution? I mean, I kind of think that makes sense. I don't really it's like it seems silly to me like cuz you say like the kind of the point is is the representation, but putting down the third place teams most of the time doesn't create more representation. It's more like here's disappointing Manchester United, here's disappointing, you know, this team that goes down. So do you think like that's the solution of just getting rid of the the Champions League third group third place group uh, finishers in in the competition. You know, I hadn't thought too much into it, but you you say that, and I I think so. You know why? Because it's also like not only if you qualify for the highest tournament then you have harder competition, which means you are more likely to get eliminated. And that's just the nature of the beast. If you were in a lower competition, you might've won, but you're not. And so you get eliminated in the group stage. And that's just that, you know, and I get that they want to give them something because it's like, oh, but it was Champions League. That's not fair. It's like, no, it is fair. They played well enough to be- Absolutely fair. You played well enough to be with the big boys and, and you don't deserve to now go for another tournament. You got eliminated. Also, let's be honest, those teams don't want to be there either. Manchester United does not want to be there, you know, and, and, no. neither, and neither does even a Ajax is too big for that tournament now. So if, if your idea is let's give the smaller European teams a chance at a title, then take that part out of it. If that's really your idea, then you can kind of have a round of 16 ish. And I even think the qualification process for the Europa League could be changed a little bit where it's not as many teams going. But if that's what it is, then at least take the third places out. So you really have. It's like the NIT versus the NCAA, right? It's like you. Why would why would a team that you gets- lose in the second round, uh, but now you're in the quarterfinals of the NIT? Like, no. why, why are you being rewarded for getting knocked out of the competition? Right. It's like a weird consolation prize, and and the teams don't want it, and the teams in it don't want it because they had to go through a hard, grueling group phase of travel and stuff like that. They deserve to go for their own tournament. I agree. I think that's the. I think that's probably the solution. Uh, and, and I'm sure that with all the games that teams are playing nowadays, like to prepare and in leagues and in cups and all of that, I'm sure the big teams that usually go down wouldn't mind that either. They'd be like, yeah, less games for us. Thanks. I, you know what? I don't want another game that I have to travel for, prepare for, do in the middle of the week before an important game on the weekend. You know, it doesn't make sense. So I, I agree. I think that Europa League needs to figure out its qualification for the knockout round a little bit. But regardless, they have not done that just yet. So we have a round of 32. Um, I'm going to go over a grand total. 32 teams this year. (laughs) (sighs) Yikes. But I'm going to go through a grand total of, I think I have four games here that I'm interested in. Uh, So we'll just go through those. Obviously, a lot of games, a lot of teams competing. And even the teams here might not be the ones that win. But they are the most intriguing matchups. And Matthew, you can comment as I go through uh, your thoughts about the matchups. I know one of them 
you'll have some opinions on. You know what? Let's start there. Let's start on the one that you're going to have opinions on. Yeah, let's get it out of the way. Manchester United, after failing to qualify for the knockout rounds of the Champions League in heartbreaking fashion on the last group stage day of the Champions League, they go to the round of 32 in the Europa League, and they, I mean, cannot catch a damn break. So they fall to the Europa League, and they can't even have one game off because they match up with La Liga leaders, Real Sociedad. Real Sociedad going back to the top of La Liga after Atletico lost to Real Madrid over the weekend. They are the current La Liga leaders. They have been solid. They have David Silva, you know, really building up that team in his leadership. Meanwhile, Manchester United, like I said, down to the Europa League. They're currently in ninth. You know, what do we think? I mean, what have you seen from your team? Do you, do you trust your team against Real Sociedad? Do you? How, how much of a chance are you giving them? Are you Hell giving no. them a chance? <laughs> I mean, I, do I trust them? Hell no. Do I give them a chance? Yes. Like, end of the day, should Manchester United beat Real Sociedad in a, a two-leg competition? Yes, they should. But I've got no faith in it. And it's probably like probably the second worst draw we could have gotten. You'll talk about the other team who, who I'm very glad we dodged because Benfica's year in, year out, a, a very solid side. Uh, so certainly not an easy, an easy uh, draw. We've talked a decent amount about how successful Real Sociedad's been in La Liga with with David Silva this year, but you already touched on it. Uh, knock us out. I don't want to win this competition. I, I don't give a shit about the Europa League. Like, yeah, if we go on and we win the Europa League, I'm not going to be mad that we won a trophy, but I would much rather get us the hell out of there, let us maybe make a run in the FA Cup or the wide-open Premier League right now because that means worlds more to me than having any sort of success in the Europa League. Like, it just, who cares? I, I don't. Right. Manchester United have so much of a history, they can't be happy with being Sevilla and just going to the final and winning every year. That's not the team that they are. So I agree. Uh, but, you know, Real Sociedad, as well as they've done in the La Liga, they've had some, they only finished, there's a reason they're playing Manchester United, it's because they finished second in their group. Granted, it was to Napoli, but, you know, they, they're not necessarily the strongest team in European play. So there's definitely some chance for Manchester United there, no doubt. And they definitely should have the talent to beat them. But it'll be an interesting game to watch. Two teams on opposite trajectories of the the fire meter, as one would say, the the consistency meter. And uh, it'll be it'll be it's a good matchup. Uh, it's It's going to be exciting to watch for sure. The next matchup, you'll talk about it. <clears throat> the only team you didn't want to face other than Real Sociedad, and they will go up against another Premier League team that's performing much worse than you. So, <laughs> I mean, you said it off the, off the air, but at least you're not a Gunners fan. At least you're not a Gunners fan. There's there's a silver lining to everything, I guess. <clears throat> right, there you go. Well, it's Benfica versus Arsenal. You know, Benfica currently in the Portuguese League, second behind Sporting Lisbon, and in their... Um, in their Europa League group stage, they finished second to Rangers. Rangers having a great group stage, so that's nothing against Benfica. And Benfica, notoriously in European camp, champ, uh, in European championships, hard to beat, hard out for anybody. Portuguese teams, they're like Porto. They're just a hard out, talented team, solid team, both on defense and the offense, great goalkeeping. And meanwhile, Arsenal, they sit a dismal 15th in Premier League right now. They are 10 points off the top four. In a wild, it's somehow in a wide open Premier League, they are completely out of the champion, out of the race. Like it's crazy to me. The, the Premier League has been the most wide open in in recent years, and and still they are they don't have a chance. And that's crazy to me that that you can say that about a top team like Arsenal. Um, and, and in my head, 
you know, Benfica didn't do anything to make me think that they're going to win the Europa League necessarily, but we know that they're a hard out. We know that they fight hard. And why would you, why would you trust Arsenal? They can't fight hard in any game that they play this season. Absolutely not. Uh, they finished perfect in their, that's what it is, Matt. They finished perfect in their Europa League group stage. But if you look at the teams they play, they played Mold, they played no Rapid fun. Vienna, they played Dundalk, and they still conceded five goals. Come on! They should have shut out those teams. They should have won six straight games on shutouts. That's what those teams were. And so that's like f- playing FC Midian six times and conceding five goals. That's not good. That's not what you should be doing. And so I don't trust Arsenal. They're losing to Benfica. It's an embarrassment. Goodbye, Mikel Arteta. That's like what it's going to be. Yeah, they like Arsenal in the last two months has two wins in the Premier League. Unfortunately, one of them was to Manchester United at home, but we're we're still sitting better than they are right now. I mean, they're already losing to Southampton today. And like when you looked at that game today, Southampton's having a, a good season. They're sitting fourth and they're not a bad club. They're always a team that, you know, will give anybody a good game but like you kind of looked at that matchup and like amazingly to me you're like here's arsenal at home at the emirates and i i think southampton is the clear favorite like they they're just playing horrible uh and it's it's it it's a shame because like i really liked the william signing and and i love pierre emmerich and like they have some good attacking players but it, it is just abysmal performance after abysmal performance like how do you lose to burnley 1-0 at home like that it it, they're just bad. And uh, yeah, I think Benfica is going to may, maybe Ars- it might be one of those seasons where like now Arsenal is just going to play really well in the Europa League. But uh, I don't see it happening, especially getting this draw like Benfica's. You said it like they're they're a team that just competes well in, in Europe. It's it's the Portuguese way. Like I I hate playing Portuguese teams because they they're not afraid of anyone. Uh, and then they're usually very talented, usually like maybe a little young or, or more like fringe guys, but like plenty of talent. Yeah, always plenty of talent, and Arsenal is definitely lag. It's also, to me, I looked at that Southampton game for a little bit, and isn't it just, like, telling of their season that they get scored on by Theo Walcott, of all players that could score on them? That's really so funny to me. I'm just like, oh, you guys can't catch a damn break. Yeah. My goodness. Um, but, you know, eventually, hopefully, that team turns it around. But I don't think it's going to be here. I think Benfica gets the win. Uh, let's talk about Napoli. We mentioned them earlier. They finished in their group. Over Real Sociedad, which on on the on paper looks good, considering what Real Sociedad has done in La Liga this season. But if you look at it, both of those teams didn't do well in the group stage. There was a lot of back and forth with the other two teams in that group. They only got eleven points out of their twelve games, so that's like averaging less than two points a game. And and they do sit third in Serie A, so it's not like they're performing bad across the board. But Europa League hasn't been as good as their group win might suggest. And now they play Granada, who only finished one point behind PSV, an impressive PSV side. And, um, and you know, Granada has been doing well in La Liga, Liga as well, better than they expect. So it seems like maybe it's not as, as, as clear of a victory for Napoli, but also you look at Granada and it's like in their group stage, they had six games and they scored six goals total. And then they conceded three. And it's like, so you guys played a bunch of like no scoring games. Like this is like, there were no goals in your games, apparently. Like, they're just... I thought, like, they missed some games. I was like, I, how is that thought? That must be wrong. But, yeah, six goals and three goals against in six games. That's weird to me. Uh, like I said, they sit sixth in the league above Barcelona. You know, that's something. And they're only four points adrift of the top four. 
So they are performing better than than average for for that team historically. Uh, in, in the end, though, as much as Napoli, you know, has been back and forth in recent years in this season as well, they just have too much talent, I think, for Granada to hold them out. So I'm probably taking Napoli in this one. Yeah, I I, th- I think you're right. Uh, Granada's had some good performances and and aren't you know aren't a pushover by by any means, but it Napoli Napoli's one of those frustrating kind of more kind of the entire Serie A of just like. How how are you guys? How is the talent not all kind of coming together? Um, but I, I I agree with you where I think the talent sees them through in this matchup. Yeah, agreed. And I don't think there's anything else much to say about that. So we'll go to the last matchup. Ajax, you know, from that group, Liverpool, Ajax, Atlanta, many, many people were saying they think the Europa League winner is in that group. You know, whoever gets eliminated from that group, it's going to make a deep run. And, you know, Ajax was the, was the odd man out dropping uh, out to Liverpool and Atalanta in the Champions League. They dropped down the Europa League, but they got a gigantic matchup from the get-go, and they don't get a break just like Manchester United could not catch a break. They get Lille, OSC Lille from France. OSC Lille, top of league uh, right now above PSG. They have been really good. They have been really consistent, and they've got a great defense as well. Uh, it's a great matchup, and honestly, when you're talking Ajax not in the Champions League, I'm always taken Ajax but for this for me it's a toss-up in this game I, I really do think that like Ajax has shown that they still have a lot of defensive issues like they're really great at pressing up front but you know it, it kind of reminds me of Byron's team before they figured out their press they're just so vulnerable in the back that it, it, it becomes hard to trust their their frontal prowess because you basically have to score otherwise you're going to lose um like in a big way. So I, I, I think it's a toss up. I, I will take Ajax just because of their recent success in Europe. That's the, the team I'm going with, but Lille, they're top of league off for a reason. So I think it's definitely going to be a hard one. Yeah. I mean, we, we've seen some good sides from Lille and, and they place a lot of good football, but I, I agree with you where, uh, I mean, I think, I think Ajax at the end of the day is, is the better team. And you mentioned it like, yeah, Ajax isn't like, they don't really want to be in the Europa League either, but I still I think for a for a Dutch side the the money and everything like it, it goes it goes a longer way for a team like Ajax than it would for a team like Manchester United. Uh, you know, historically, the prestige of both are are, are very similar. Um, but I think just like financial wise, like this is something that that does help uh, Ajax if they can make a run. And and I think they are they are the the better side. And it's tough. I mean. We saw some surprises from the French league in, in Europe last year, but it, it's tough to still have any faith in, in a French team besides PSG. Right. And even them we'll talk about. I don't necessarily have all the faith in the world in. All right. Well, that's the Europa League draw. Just a little bit of highlights. And now we moved on to the exciting. And it's the Champions League draw. The Champions League. The, the Champions. Ra- da, da. It is here. It is exciting. There are some great matchups, and I'm going to go through them real quick, and you can give me your thoughts on them as well. The first and foremost, it's Barcelona versus PSG once again. These two teams cannot help but play each other in knockout round football. It is the second round of 16 matchup between the two sides since the 2016-2017 matchup, where Barcelona beat PSG 6-1 to in the second leg in the, one of the most miraculous comebacks in Champions League history. Uh, it's Neymar returning to the Camp Nou for the first time since his big PSG move. Seems like maybe the last chance for Messi to win a Champions League if he doesn't stay with Barcelona. So it's it's some more history there. Does Messi can Messi make a run with Barcelona in this tournament? Uh, you know, we talked about it. Barcelona having that last loss to Juventus. 
uh, to kind of get knock them into second place and into this matchup. PSG, you know, had their ups and downs as well, obviously, but they are there and they're still PSG. I, I don't see, I mean, Barcelona had some good Champions League results, don't get me wrong, but I don't see them beating PSG. I just think they have too many issues that can be exploited by the front line of Paris. And so I see Paris winning in this one. How about you? Yeah, I, I agree. I think you do have. I think you have to pick Paris in this in this one. But even with you know the kind of the disappointing season, up and down season that Barcelona's had, it's it's going to be a disappointing early exit for for either team. Just because no matter what these clubs are performing, like um, they they're not going to be happy with a round of sixteen exit. Um, and you know, I think both these teams can go on to win the competition. Uh, but the, the loser, I think, certainly will be seeing some some wholesale changes. I think probably it feels like changes are looming for Barcelona anyway. So I think the loss for PSG would be far more disappointing, especially after making a run to the final last year to like, I've talked about it so many times of like, all right, it feels like they got the monkey off their back. If, if they lose this one, even against Barcelona, it, there does feel like a a little bit of regression. So I, I think PSG needs to win. And I think they're the favorite. And I don't know if you're Paris there, there's still some whispers about, Messi possibly coming to Paris next year about them possibly making a deal for him. It'd, it'd be a pretty good time to, uh, to have a little recruiting pitch of being like, Hey, why don't you come over here? Look, look at the fun attacking football we play. So uh, I think the pressure is on PSG a little bit more, but not, not innumerably more where like, that's, what's going to be the, the breaking thing because even though Barca struggled, there's still pressure for them to not leave early, but I agree. I think, I think Paris is, is the favorite here. Yeah, if you can't beat them, join them. That's what I always say, and that's what always happens. So that's just how the how the how the cookie crumbles there. All right, in a team that's been doing much better in La Liga, Atletico Madrid, they draw Chelsea after finishing a disappointing second to Bayern Munich. Obviously, Bayern Munich a tough team, but they did not perform too well in the group stage. Regardless, actually needed a win on the final day to get into the knockout round, and they draw Chelsea. Chelsea, a team that been dominant against the Sevilla that won the Europa League last year. They were dominant there. They were, fi- they were third in the Premier League coming into this one. And and it, it really seems like you got the defensive grinders in Atletico Madrid versus attacking depth for Chelsea. You know, you, they have a lot of good options up there. And you have an expert coach in Diego Simeone versus kind of a newbie in Frank Lampard, you know, who who's going to get the edge there. Uh, you know, if you had asked me before yesterday who was going to win this one, I might have given it to Chelsea. Uh, but, you know, that's what – ball don't lie. This is what we – we, me and Matt hold hold this to a high standard, this this idea. And it's just true. The ball don't lie. And eventually, if you're a team that's not going to perform, you show up and you don't perform. And that's all I need to see from you. Chelsea, to this point, had not shown me that. And then they lost 2-1 to Wolves in an embarrassing fashion. A Wolves team that's not as good as the other Wolves teams in the past – they are they're on the on the decline, honestly, in my eyes. So the fact that they lost to that team is not good. No, and no Raul saying, Jimenez, too. No Raul Jimenez and and really some bad defending. Bad, bad defending. And and if you defend like that against Joao Felix, and if you defend like that against Diego Costa, and if you defend like that against Luis Suarez, you're gonna get scored on. And so here it is. We talked about Atletico. They perform bad in the group stage, but they're going to be a team to look for that could get an upset. And I think they get the upset here. I think they beat Chelsea. Chelsea still a year or two off of the consistency that shows me they can make a run. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I almost don't even know if it's an upset. Like, I think 
maybe maybe in the upsets of like, oh, they got second in their group. But when you look at these teams, I do think Atletico looks like the better team. And yeah, I mean, the last week of Chelsea, we we talked about both these teams being able to make a run. Like I I think we both talked about Chelsea being a dark horse. But that last week, especially like yesterday, you you got Thiago Silva yelling at at Timo Werner. Like those those sort of cracks you see in a team of like. It's not even just that the the performances aren't there. Like I'm not sure you guys are are getting along either. Like that that goes a long way for a team. Um, and yeah, you know, Atletico d- didn't do great in the group stage, but it, it's Atletico's never gonna have like a five zero win. Like they're never they're never gonna have like some flashy win that like makes you think, oh damn, they look like the best team in Europe. But they have the ability to grind out a, a lot of a lot of wins against good teams. So I agree. I, I I'm picking Atletico in this one, but uh, like I think Chelsea's going to need some some special stuff from Pulisic or or something like that to to really break through and and get this one. So I'm going Atletico as well. Right, and I just think the coaching of Diego, the experience of Diego Simeone in these situations is going to help their team tremendously against for sure showing cracks. So I agree there. All right, we'll go to my team, Bayern Munich, getting a. A, a decently favorable draw. They draw Lazio, who finished second to Dortmund. Decently uh, favorable. Yeah, I won't say too favorable. Otherwise, I'm going to be eating my words here probably uh, soon enough. And I don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to jinx yourself. I don't I'll, say it for, I'll say it for you. You're going to kick their ass. We'll see. I mean, Bayern, they've, they've been having a little bit of a rough time. They haven't won actually in four games uh, since drawing against Atletico Madrid. They've had a bunch of draws and some losses that have hurt them in the standings in the Bundesliga. Meanwhile, Lazio is improving a little bit, uh, but, you know, this one, the big storyline, you know, Robert Lewandowski versus Chiro Mobile, two top strikers from last year in Europe playing each other who can now duel the other, but it's more than that. I mean, Bayern are unbeaten in the last eight games against Italian teams. They've, they're, they know how to do it against the best and Lazio is not even the best. And I, I think that that goes a lot into it. And also you think about it, right? This game isn't happening tomorrow. This game is happening next year. So what it gives is both teams some injury time to recover. And the team that needs that time is Bayern. They will get stronger. Alfonso Davies going to be strong by then. He's just coming back now. Obviously, they're missing Joshua Kimmich, which has shown to be such a big part of the team. They will get him back by the time this game happens. And I think that's that basically spells the end for Lazio. I think they can, they can cause some trouble against the Bayern back line for sure, as any team can, uh, because of the high press. And I think Immobile will probably get a goal. But Byron, the far more complete team, the far more consistent team, and they will get this win. <laughs> They're going to kick their ass. I mean, you talked about it already, like, Borussia not looking very good in Champions League and just this year. And Borussia won the group with Lazio. Like, Lazio is is not – Lazio has some good players, and we've seen them perform well, but they – not this year. They're, they've not really been up to stuff, especially in, in a year where Serie A has seen a lot of teams be up and down. Like, they, they haven't been – quite quite all there so i think byron blows by lazio pretty easily well i'll let you say it then and not me that's fine i'll, I'll let you say that every day uh but yeah it's, i got you it's, covered. It's don't worry be an interesting matchup regardless i think all the matchups in this in this round are are interesting let's go to a different team though leipzig they draw the big boys leipzig they finish second you know with that win over man united and and they're feeling they're flying high and and they fall back to earth as they have to play Jurgen Klopp and Liverpool. Obviously, Liverpool injured and underperforming as of late. Um, but, you know, they're still Liverpool. They still got the great talent in all sides of the ball. They still got Jurgen Klopp. It's kind of like a 
a German coach master versus protege as you have Jurgen Klopp, you know, battling Julian Nagelsmann on the sidelines. It's going to be an interesting matchup tactic-wise for sure. Leipzig, meanwhile, having a great season. Like I said, they, they battled their way into that second spot behind PSG and they're challenging Bayern for the title. So, you know, they're definitely not someone that's going to be swept aside. But, you know, Liverpool are unbeaten in their last 10 European matches against German teams since 2002. And that included a good Bayern side uh, two years ago in the Champions League. You know, I, I think while Leipzig could get uh, one of the legs, like an upset, you know, I think Liverpool gets the win. And I, and I don't think it's very close. Yeah, I, I agree. I think this is one of those, game, like, matchups where it, it Liverpool seems like they're going to go through and I, I think we'd be shocked if they didn't but it, it is Leipzig is going to give them a little bit more of a test than than some matchups and I think it's I think it's kind of almost like a measuring stick of of how far like how Liverpool looks against Leipzig will at least for me kind of tell me how how like far this team can really go this year like are are they going to be able to, to hoist it up again or are they going to maybe flounder out a little quickly because uh like we know Leipzig's a solid team, but they, they shouldn't be able to hang with a Liverpool. So I, I see Liverpool winning as well. Um, and, but, but kind of just like how, how, how do they win? How do they perform? Uh, and I think that'll tell us a lot about what they're going to do in the later stages. Agreed. I think Leipzig is a good measuring stick for good teams. Cause they'll beat you when you're beating yourself. They will take advantage Absolutely. of the mistakes you make. That nailed yeah. it. That's well said. Yeah, that's what it is. So they won't beat you when you're doing well. So that that's just kind of the that happened in the game we played against them too. We made some mistakes, and that's why it was a three three draw. But uh, you know, if you do well, you don't have to worry about that. And uh, we beat them five zero the first time, and then the second game they beat us three two because like they yeah, they, you yep. said it. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, let's go to the third German team, Borussia Dortmund. We talked about it finishing above. Uh, Lazio, but they have a really intriguing matchup against the Europa League giants, Sevilla, who uh, don't get to compete for their favorite trophy, but do get to compete in the Champions League knockout round, uh, which we'll see. We'll ask them what they would rather have. But this game is going to be fun to watch. It's, a, it's an offensive explosion, really. You have Erling Haaland, Giovanni Reina, Jaden Sancho uh, playing for Dortmund. You have Ivan Rakitic, Luke de Jong, Lucas Acampos playing for Sevilla. It's going to be a fun game to watch. You know, Dortmund's been struggling, like we talked about. Sevilla, more formidable than Lazio. And and Dortmund, you know, had an okay run against Lazio. They didn't kill them. So I, I think that it's going to be a hard one for Dortmund. And, you know, Sevilla have won five of their nine away games in European competition against German sides. Uh, they know how to play German sides really well. And I, I, I as much as I want to see German teams progress, and as much as I really don't, have any reason to vote against Dortmund here. I think that their season is going to be a little up and down. And I think Sevilla, like Leipzig, they're not the best team in the world, but they will take advantage of the mistakes you make. I think Dortmund makes a couple too few, too many mistakes and Sevilla wins on away goals. I think it's probably tight, but they win on away goals. I agree. I think, I mean, I think Sevilla looks like the favorite here from like, from what we've seen from both teams. I, I think it's, I think it's easy to pick Sevilla as the favorite. Now, are we going to see more performances like Dortmund had this weekend? If so, then yeah, Dortmund should and, and can win this matchup. But I agree. Like we, we've seen Dortmund be so up and down and Sevilla is such a consistent team that, that I, I agree. I think Sevilla is going to knock them out here. Uh, pretty favorable draw for Sevilla after getting uh, second in their group to, to get, you know, the group winner that probably struggled the most. Right. And we saw Sevilla perform against Bayern. They could have beaten Bayern in that game. They really could have in the Super Cup. So 
I, I think that they can compete with far better teams than Dortmund. And I, I they will go into this game feeling like they, they deserve to win, not just that they can. So I, I, I am excited to watch that. But again, more German representation. I'm good with it. Uh, so I'm always happy to see that German teams in the Euro- in Champions League. Hard to come by sometimes other than Bayern. So uh, let's go to Porto versus Juventus. This seems like the easiest matchup, honestly. But among the group stage, this seems like the easiest one. Juventus is a contender. Uh, Porto's a good team, but that's really it. Uh, Ronaldo returning to Portugal to start off his knockout round campaign. There's a little bit of history here. Porto and Juventus played each other in the 1983-84 final where Juventus won uh, 2-1. And uh, so there is some European uh, history there. But for me, as uh, we talked about Portuguese teams being a hard out. But I think Juventus is performing a little too well for that to matter. And I think Juventus coast by Porto here. Yeah, I like, I mean, obviously there wouldn't have been a, a possibility for Juventus to get second in the group and play Porto. But like, if if who didn't have that last performance on, on match day six against Barcelona, maybe I'd be more inclined to say Porto could could give them a little, you know, run for their money. But I think that that performance was was an impressive one. And it's one for a team to really build on and, and feel good about. So uh, I agree. I think I think Juve is gonna get get through here. Uh, maybe maybe Porto will be a little thorn in the side for a bit, but but over two legs, it, it seems tough to believe that the uh, the gray lady won't uh, see Juve through. Right, exactly. Which means we'll probably have to play them, and I'm gonna hate myself when that happens. But regardless, uh, Juventus sports usually- are so much fun. Sports are so much fun because once you win, then you're gonna lose eventually, and it sucks. It just sucks. And uh, learning that every day. But yeah, that is, seems to be an easy matchup. Let's go to two matchups that I don't will not be as easy. And I'm calling quote unquote upsets for both. The first one I'll talk about is Atalanta versus Real Madrid. You know, Real Madrid not as dominant, uh, but uh, Atalanta also not as dominant as last year. You know, they but they showed they can still blow by any team. They defeated Liverpool on the last group day to get into the second spot. Real Madrid looks vulnerable, but they performed well in the last day. Also, getting uh, kind of this first place finish on the on the coats of a of a last game win against Gladbach. Um, Atalanta have won their previous two games in the Champions League versus Spanish sides. As in the last campaign, they beat Valencia four one and four uh, three on the road to their uh, kind of run last year. Meanwhile. Real Madrid looked really vulnerable in the back. They they've looked really vulnerable to every team, it's like Shakhtar, for example. They looked vulnerable to Gladbach when they played. They even they look vulnerable to Inter, obviously. Inter Milan has good strikers, but still. And I think that kind of spells the game there, right? It's not that Real Madrid don't have the talent or the uh, to to score goals, but Real Madrid's biggest weakness is their back line, and Atalanta's biggest strength is their front line. And when you put strength against weakness, usually that's going to win out. And I think here Atalanta gets the quote unquote upset, not because Atalanta is necessarily the worst team right now, but when you see Real Madrid versus Atalanta, regardless of where the teams are, Real Madrid should win. Yeah, I mean, I, I see this as as an absolutely like the, probably the most obvious upset pick, just because we we know how Real Madrid has been playing up and down this year. Have they turned the corner? They've they've had a couple of better results recently. Maybe the Atletico win and, and the win on match day six will kind of help them get back to the form that they should be at. But uh, we like we know Atalanta is they're not going to be scared of, of them. They're going to go and they're going to play their game. Uh, it's it's going to be an attacking game that will leave them open for goals. Which if Real Madrid plays like they should they should take advantage of but uh like Atalanta has to feel like 
like a little even cheated. Like last year, they were they were so close to the semifinals, but those those late goals by PSG knocked them out. So I think you know they'll probably come in with a little bit of, of fire themselves of being like, hey, we want to prove that last year wasn't a fluke, and and we want to get back to the quarters and and maybe make some more noise because they, they they're just a team that's not going to back down from anyone. Um, and if Real Madrid plays as flat footed as they've had this year. Like Atalanta could could certainly blow by him. I I still favor Madrid to to see it through. I think Atalanta probably would need like a, a two goal win in the first leg to to get this one. But um, I certainly wouldn't be shocked if they pull off the upset. Right. I th- I think it's more it's just more straightforward than the than the history might say. And so uh, I definitely think it's going to be a toss up. And I and I that's why I picked this as one of my upsets. So uh, we'll see if it happens. We'll see if it happens. All right. Well, let's get to the last upset that I'm picking, and I and I don't know if you'll agree with me, but we'll see. We'll see. Let me let me try to persuade you here. Uh, it is the matchup I'll, between. I'll certainly want to agree with you. I can tell you that. Uh, it is the matchup between Manchester City and Borussia Mönchengladbach. That's right, another German team in the knockout rounds of the Champions League. Always good to see. Uh, Gladbach made it out of a tough Group B. They really did, and uh, you know they had to. It was with a little help from Inter Milan and Shakhtar for sure. But they showed that they're here to stay. Man City had a coast ride in their group. Not even going to talk about it. It was ridiculously easy for them. And even then, they underperformed some time. But, you know, there's some history here. Gladbach, last time they played Manchester City, eliminated them in the 78-79 UEFA Cup quarterfinals on their way to their last trophy in Europe. Uh, and and here's where I stand with it, right? Gladbach is kind of one of those teams that can win against anybody and they can lose against anybody. They really, really can. They, 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 they kind of have a lot of things they need to fix, but they have a lot of talent as well. So it's not that I think that they're better than Manchester City or that they should be Manchester City. But you know what? Is This has been coming a little bit. Manchester City disappointing in the Champions League and Manchester City disappointing in the Premier League now as well. You know, eventually, eventually the, the crack becomes a, a gaping hole. And, and it, it happens sometimes when you don't expect it to happen. And so I think I think this game, I'm making my hot take here, I think this game is the end of Guardiola in Manchester City. I think that over two legs, Gladbach will perform well, and they'll perform without any pressure because they are not a team that should be in the round of 16 uh, out of a group with Inter Milan and Real Madrid. And... Manchester City is expected as group winners and as Manchester City, especially not doing well in the Premier League, they're expected to make a deep run. They are. As much as they're not performing like they should be, they are the better team. They should breeze by this. So all the pressure is on them. And we know when pressure is on Manchester City, they buckle at the knees. And so I think here it might be on away goals. It might be just by one goal. It might be by a fluke, whatever it be. I think that Glockbach plays without fear. They play to their opponent's level. They Manchester City struggles to score, and they get upset. I'm calling it right here. Munchen Glockbach goes through, and Guardiola goes home. I mean, like I said, I I absolutely want to agree with you. I want Manchester City to suck as much as possible, and I, and I think you're right. If Munchen Gladbach knocks him out, there, I how does Pep? Guardiola stay like he he has to be gone I don't think there's any chance he he survives a loss to Munch and Gladbach I I think at the end of the day I am just going with the talent of Manchester City and and you kind of mentioned it earlier about the the Bayern Lazio matchup they've got a month or so before even the first leg um so I think you know having that time like if they were playing them this week like maybe because Manchester City does not look all that good I mean you tied a West Bromwich Albion that's not really the most convincing result 
But uh, I think having having a little bit more of a layoff, I I see over two games uh, them getting enough goals to win. But if they lose, he he has to be gone. And I guess two uh, my question for Borussia Mönchengladbach because you're right, all the pressures on City. Does Borussia Mönchengladbach because this is the first time they've ever made the knockout rounds in the Champions League? Do they go and do they play with? just carefree and then they take advantage of the pressure that's on city and just kind of play their game and, and, and play loose. Or do they get to the knockout round and they're like, heck yeah, this is the first time we got to the knockout round. And that like sort of celebration brings them, you know, back down to earth. But uh, I, you know, I hope you're right. Yeah, I know. I know you. I, that's why I thought I maybe, maybe the, the will, the, the want was enough to persuade, but uh, the bias. Right, of course. Man City should win. They really should. And, you know, and that's the thing about the Champions League draw, right? Like, all these draws are interesting, but apart from, like, one or two games, there's one team that should obviously win. Like, pretty obviously win. And it's just so funny in this crazy year that, like, we're picking a lot of upsets. We are picking a lot of upsets. And I wouldn't be surprised if we had a quarterfinals with more upsets than not. That's just, like... That, I mean, that builds for exciting football. It really does. And I'm, and, there's, and I'm, there's I, always at least two, like, there's always at least one big team that, like, gets knocked out early. Like, they, they just do. That's part, but like, remember when Manchester United made the run to the Champions League final against Barcelona? Like, we had such a favorable draw because other big teams were getting upset by, like, Schalke and I can't even remember who else. Like, it, the path for teams sometimes becomes easy. Like, PSG last year, like, they got to play. Leipzig and and Atalanta or even you guys playing Lyon in the semifinals like the top teams they really there's at least one or two that that drops uh on on you know on the way to the championship which is you know part of the reason it's tough to win the Champions League is because it's it's a slog it's you got to play two games against an opponent each time so there's there's certainly going to be some surprises there's there's no doubt about that Right, exactly, and uh, it'll be just interesting to see what those surprises are, and uh, cross my fingers that it's not the surprise that uh, with my team, my team can, like I said, my team can just be be exempt from that. Everything else, <laughs> everything else, yeah. is, is fine though. Uh, oh my goodness! All right, well, that is the soccer news for the day. Lots of action coming up. Uh, in the new year, we'll have lots of good stuff to watch. But for now, let's go to a season that is ending rather than starting. It is the college football season. This weekend is Champions Week, but we're going to be talking about the last weekend of football. Matt, take us away. Yes, it uh, it was you know, a bit of a, a tame weekend in college football this week. A lot of a myriad of cancellations kind of marred the weekend again. Tell me if that sounds like a broken record. But uh, this Saturday, hopefully, we'll, we'll make up for it. I'm sure we'll talk about that later on in the week, all the big conference championship games. Uh, there has been some exciting news out of, the, uh, out of Iowa football. Um, and I, this isn't even just Iowa football news. This is technically Big Ten football news. Uh, Davion Nixon named the defensive lineman of the year in the Big Ten. He is the uh, sixth defensive lineman to win this award, first since uh, um, Mitch King back in 2008. But more exciting than that, he was also named the defensive player of the year in the conference, only the third Hawkeye to ever be awarded that. Josie Jewell in 2017 and Leroy Smith actually shared it with Troy Vinson back in 1991. So a huge accomplishment for Davion Nixon. He, he joins a list of names that include Charles Woodson, 
you know, Chase Young, Joey Bosa, Lamar Woodley, Pat Fitzgerald, the, the current Northwestern head coach. So quite quite an accomplishment for Davion Nixon, and, and he absolutely deserved that recognition after, uh, you know, leading the conference in sacks and tackles for loss. That's a uh, pretty, pretty good uh, work on the field. But uh, as for Hawkeye football this weekend, it was it was a solid win for us. We finally broke the four-game winning streak against Wisconsin. It's It's been a team that we've kind of had to call daddy as of late. They came in winning seven of eight, four in a row, as I said. But uh, the Iowa defense, extremely stout, got the better of the number one ranked defense in Wisconsin. But uh, kind of the big playability in the second half, that was the difference. Like, first half, uh, Iowa really did dominate, but it was not – replicate like it was not showing that on on the scoreboard by by any means it was a pretty low scoring affair I think it was six to zero to Keith Duncan field goals at half uh but uh Smith Amir Amir Smith Marset pardon me uh I'm just gonna say all three of his names just in any order Marset Um, Amir Smith yeah he he had two touchdowns in the second half, including a 53-yard touchdown reception, which is a huge play for the Hawks, really helped open up the game. Uh, and then after a, a stout defensive stop, Tyler Goodson was able to get an 80-yard touchdown to kind of put the game away for the Hawks. 28-7 probably doesn't even like do it justice because even the Wisconsin touchdown was only because of a, a punt return gaffe by Charlie Jones. But a very dominant win for the Hawks uh, through and through, and it was – it was nice to finally we, – we've dominated most of our rivalry games recently, but uh, Wisconsin has, has had us for the last decade or so, so it was nice to get a, a, a big win against them. Yeah. Meanwhile, Coastal Carolina and USC squeaked by UCLA and Troy, respectively, to remain unbeaten, but neither was the most convincing win. I'll give Coastal Carolina a, a bit of a pass. You know, they, They're 10-0 now. It's never easy to go undefeated through your season like that. Uh, and they really have had had quite a tremendous season. Another big game this weekend against Louisiana, which will uh, you know only help bolster their chances of possibly getting a New Year's Six Bowl. For the Trojans, I mean, they're five and zero. They're ranked thirteenth in the college football playoff, but they're not the scariest five and zero team in the world. Three of their wins now are by a single possession, and that's against UCLA, as I said, Arizona, and Arizona State. I mean. Arizona State beat Arizona 70 to 7 this week. So not not really the best team from the Wildcats, but Keaton Slovis has, has has saved the Trojans game in and game out. They play Oregon this weekend now because Washington had to uh and will not be participating in, in the Pac-12 championship because of a COVID outbreak within their program. I mean, I, I think there's a chance Oregon dominates them. The the thing is, Oregon's not quite a well oiled machine either. I think that you pandemic has certainly hit the Pac-12 probably harder than any of the other major conferences. But uh, like maybe it's not this game, but depending on who USC gets in a bowl, like I, I think they might get annihilated. Like we, we saw the Hawkeyes kick their butt in the holiday bowl last year. And, and I think there's a good chance that that happens to USC this year. Maybe Keaton Slovis's arm saves them as, as he was trying to do against the Hawks and as he's done all year. But I mean, if they play a team that, that you know, is substantially better than them, it, it could get ugly for USC. Uh, meanwhile, you North Carolina played Miami. We talked about the game last week. I, I did pick North Carolina for the upset. I certainly didn't pick them to win 62-26. to 26. It was an absolute shellacking by the Tar Heels, all because of a dominating run game. They gained 554 yards on the ground, 
Michael Carter had 308 yards and two touchdowns. Javante Williams added 236 yards and three trips to Paydirt himself. Their combined 544 yards is the most by a duo in NCAA history. And just another sign of the progress that Mac Brown is making at Carolina. It's been it's been impressive. He had a top 15 recruiting class last year. This year, I believe they have the ninth ranked recruiting class, at least on ESPN's rankings. So he, he's really turning the tide at North Carolina like like he did back in the 90s. And Jan, you, you have to ask, you think Texas is kicking themselves a little bit? Like Charlie Strong didn't work out. Tom Herman has certainly not brought that explosive offense that, that they expected him to and, and to bring Texas football back. Like, you think Texas is, is regretting that decision a little bit? Of course. Of course. Do you see what UNC's quarterback is doing right now? The freedom he's being given to just sling the ball? Can you imagine what Sam Ellinger would do if he had that freedom? So much! Texas would be somewhere. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying they'd be in the, the college football playoffs, but, you know... In the year of COVID, they could have made some real damage. Like, they could have made some strides that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to make. Yeah, and I just think, yeah, they're definitely, I mean, that's it. They are kicking themselves. And the fact that I, I'm always, I don't know what it is, but even since Mitch Trubisky was at UNC, I'm always surprised when UNC has a good football team. I don't know. I really don't know what it is, but I'm just like, right, you guys have a good football team. A year in and year out. <laughs> Yeah, they're. I mean, they they're they're solid again, and it's it's thanks to Mac Brown. Like he, he really has has brought them back, like kind of immediately, uh, which is is pretty impressive. And it's cool to see him like go back there. Like he was the coach of for UNC from '88 to '97, and what he built there, you know, helped him get the Texas job. And uh, I guess I guess technically Mac Brown resigned, but like we know Texas pushed him out, and they they have to be kicking themselves now because like the guy like. I think a lot of times too, those schools, like they just get, they think just because their name is, is Texas or their name is Michigan, that success is going to follow. And that's not the case. Right. It's also interesting to me. I don't know, like, correct me if I'm wrong here or if I'm like off base, but like, I just look at Texas college teams and I'm like, how are you guys ever, all the great football players, like just the majority of them are from Texas. Just a lot of them are from Texas. The Texas football programming in the grassroots programming is so huge. And then it doesn't it doesn't seem to translate to college football in Texas. And like Texas A&M, granted, fine. Texas A&M is good. But I just I just almost I'm just surprised that they're not the, the lead teams. You know, like obviously Alabama has had history as well. But like with a good football state that Texas is, I'm surprised that that's not translating over, you know, to like it does in other states. I feel like it does in other states, you know? Like whenever Iowa has some good high school football teams, the Iowa University teams end up being better the next year. Like we're seeing that now, you know, with ISU being being up so high and, and the Hawkeyes coming back. And yeah, I just it's always curious to me how Texas is not is underperforming. No, I, I mean I think it's true. And even even Texas AM, like they're having a good year this year, but like they were supposed to, especially once they got Jimbo, like they were supposed to get you know, up to the Alabama and they've, they've never been able to get right up there. And Texas certainly is unique because California, you probably could just recruit California, but like Texas, you legitimately don't have to go to another state to recruit. Like if Iowa just recruited in Iowa, we would be God awful. <laughs> like Texas, Texas has, like you said, an, an insane amount of talent because it's just, it's a huge state that loves football. 
And like the fact that you you don't see it replicated quite so much with the uh, with the football or with the college programs, it is it is a surprise. It's it's odd, and I understand not every great Texas player is going to Texas schools, but but still, it's you would think you would think the the results on the field for the college teams would be better than they are they've, because they've been pretty at least Texas standards pretty subpar. Yeah, subpar is the way to do it. It's not been awful. Texas has always been a fun team to watch and like they don't have an awful team, but it showed in this game against UNC. It's like, ah, uh, you just don't like your team's o- like, okay. Your team is okay. That is it. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't think Texas expects to lose at home to Iowa state as good as Iowa state is this year. Like that shouldn't be happening for a team like that. And, you know, for a year where Oklahoma was kind of, kind of regressed a little bit with Rattler coming in as a freshman, like this should have been Texas's year and they they weren't able to win any of their big games and uh you know I the grass is not always greener as they say but it's a great win for North Carolina we should probably give them some more love than just rip on Texas but it's fun to rip on Texas so uh, fun. finally <laughs> finally the big game of the weekend LSU taking down Florida 37 to 34 unbelievable oh, it was it, that's why you love college football though because it all seems so obvious, and then a game like this happens. Uh, it was a late 57-yard field goal by Cade York for the Tigers that got them the win. Now, a lot's been said about Florida losing the game because of Marco Wilson. He, he got a penalty for throwing an LSU player's shoe, which helped the Tigers keep their drive going, which ended in that game-winning field goal. And I, I am not here to defend the play by Wilson. It, it, it was boneheaded. It was it was silly. It was just it was just foolish. Uh, and probably just a kid caught up in the moment, but still shouldn't have done it. But how the hell was Florida in that position to begin with? LSU has been horrible all year. And if you're a team that wants to make the college football playoff, that has a chance to make the college football playoff, because if Florida wins that game and wins against Alabama this weekend, they're in. They're in, and Kyle Trask is the Heisman winner. But instead, you're tied 34-34 in the fourth quarter to a team that's been horrible all year. So, like, yeah, the play wasn't great by Marco Wilson, but they shouldn't have been in the situation where a late fourth-quarter penalty was going to lose the game for them. So I think, like, putting the blame on him is is ridiculous because it, it lets the entire rest of the team slide for what was a horrible performance and probably even the coaching staff. Uh, it hasn't hurt them too much in the college football playoff rankings. They only dropped to seven. Iowa State jumping them to six and the top five staying pat as, as it's been A&M at number five and the top four being Ohio State, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Bama. Um, and honestly, you know, especially now with that Florida loss, I, I'm not even sure a bunch of chaos is going to change the top four. I, I think if Bama loses, they're still in. Ohio State's not going to lose. Uh, and, and of course, if Clemson beats Notre Dame, they're both in. I think Clemson might have a chance to be in even if they lose to Notre Dame. Like if it's a real, real close game, I – Clemson might still get in over AM. I think AM is the only one that has a chance of sneaking in because I, I don't think Iowa State can. The Big 12 is, is not that great this year. And it's also the conference that's easily done the worst in, in the college football playoff. They've never won a game. I mean, we've seen much better Oklahoma teams run through the Big 12, Big 12, get to the college football playoff, and get run through themselves. So it's not a conference that really historically has proven a lot. And at the end of the day, when you look at resume wise, how are you going to look at Iowa State, even as Big 12 champion, against Texas A&M and against like a two-loss Clemson? Like two-loss Clemson, both losses to 
right now the number two team in the country. One loss, Texas A&M. One loss is to the number one team in the country in Alabama. And Iowa State has a loss against Louisiana. Like we, we can say as much as we want about Louisiana being a good team. When relative to those other teams, that's a bad loss. And I, and I don't think you can overcome that, you know? Right. I agree. I, I honestly, going into this weekend, I thought the only team that was going to shake up the top four, regardless of result for them, was going to be Florida. Because Florida actually like has been playing amazing. They have a Heisman candidate that the that the committee would want to see in the playoffs. And if they could win out and then beat Alabama, there's no then they can talk about getting Ohio State out of there or the loser of Clemson Notre Dame out of there. You know, then that conversation becomes one you can have. But Texas A&M, you know, they had their big game that they lost already. They don't really have a chance to win in now. You know, it, it, it's they really have to rely on other teams underperforming and it it almost seems like how much will those other teams have to underperform you know like alabama losing to florida doesn't mean anything because alabama's been so good all season so i don't think that's going to knock them out for any chance and it's not going to get florida in because they lost to a terrible lsu team which i i 100 percent agree with you you like if if it was if this was the Florida-Alabama game and it was 34-34 and that man threw his shoe, I give it to you. I give it to you. I give it to you. I give it Agreed. to you. Agreed. Because they shouldn't even be there and he ruined that chance. But it's LSU, a team that lost all their players, a team that is in scandal, that has basically given up on the season because they've they've opted out of the bowl. And, and, and you are playing against them like you're not a team that wants to be in the college football playoffs. So, like, no, I agree. Like, He's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. Like that is that is all that I'm going to put on him. He's going to have to live with that for the rest of his life. That's what I'll put on him. But like blaming the loss on him is ridiculous because it's basically saying that the rest of the game wasn't played and that like that's the only play that that existed in that game, which it's not. It's absolutely not. So uh, I, I agree there. But Florida was the one team I thought could play in. Alabama loses. They're still in. Clemson, Notre Dame, I, you know – Maybe if Clemson loses twice to Notre Dame, I think it'd have to be a bad loss, though. I think they would really have to get stomped on, and I don't think they will. Um, and Ohio State, we know they will do anything they can to keep Ohio State in. They will, they just will. And so, like, the one team that was going to knock Ohio State out and Justin Fields out was Heisman candidate Kyle Trask. That was it. That was going to be, we'll, we'll get rid of Justin Fields, but we'll put in another Heisman because they've deserved it. But now that he's not there, Texas a and is a great team, but that they're not the story that the committee wants. And we know that the committee's all about that. So even if they're saying there was some discussion about switching, okay, whatever. I mean, like, at the end of the day, like, the fact that it hasn't happened yet, why would it happen the last week? Ohio State would have to go out there and get pummeled. They would have to, I mean, they yeah. So I, I just think top four is that as it is, and uh Disappointing. I wanted some excitement on the last weekend with Florida. I really did, you know, and and it's not going to happen. But that's Florida, you know, made their own bed. They got to sleep in it. It's true. I was so like, I don't think I ever would would say I've cheered for uh, Florida, really. But I was like, come on. Like, how do you not get that win? Just because there is like, I don't think I would be picking Florida to beat Alabama this weekend, even if they'd won. But it at least presented the opportunity for, for something to happen. But uh, yeah, and then like two with Ohio State, like if they win this weekend, 
they'll beat the 14th ranked team in, in the college football play. Like we can say whatever we want about how Northwestern looks. And, and do I think Northwestern's really the 14th best team? I, I don't know, but that's what their ranking is. And that's a, a quality win. Like it's not, it's not a, they're not playing an unranked team or, or a team that's, you know, on the fringe rankings. Like they're, it's a top 15 team. So that's, that's a solid win in itself there. And, and I think justifiably so the college football playoff committee has, has you know, come out and said, like the eye test is the biggest thing this year. And I like, as I haven't watched every single game, but I've watched a good amount of games. And I, and I think Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, and Ohio state have separated themselves. I, I, I've seen A&M look decent, but I've seen A&M also look not that impressive. Like I, I think those top four are to me pretty clearly the top four. Right. And also you think about it, right? Like Texas A&M has looked decent and they've done, they've checked all the boxes they've needed to check since losing to Alabama. But at the end of the day, do we really think that the game is going to be any different Alabama versus Texas A&M than it was in the first one? No, it's going to be the same result. Why would the committee want to have a rematch like that? It's like the Florida one is different because Florida really grew into themselves. Kyle Trask grew into himself. He established himself throughout the season. He got better and better. He knocked off Georgia, all this stuff. But with with Texas A&M, it's like you have a decent team that you're going to put in against Alabama and know that they have no chance. We saw that game already. Give us OSU. That's so, so much more exciting. You have Justin Fields, who at least has a shot to beat Alabama. When Texas A&M doesn't, they don't. Well, and like, too, like, I mean, because in this year, especially like where we don't have a lot of the non-conference, you know, games to to really gauge which conference it like maybe Alabama is spanking a bunch of really bad SEC teams this year. We don't know. But so like we don't have that normal gauge. But like if you just compare Alabama and A&M, Alabama, like you said, dominated A&M in their matchup, 52 to 24. But then you look at some similar games that they played. Alabama beat LSU 55 to 17. Texas A&M beat LSU 20 to 7. Alabama beat Auburn 42 to 13. Texas A&M beat Auburn 31 to 20. So like you, if Texas A&M was gonna come in and really sneak in, I think they would need more style points, and they and they really haven't. Like they've won their games, and, and good on you. But like to to really have an argument in this, like I would I would think they would need to to really dominate all the opponents they have, similar to Alabama has, and they they haven't done that. Right. And, and it's and it's just like every other team that we talked about. We talked about this last week, too. Like, they can complain all they want. Like, OSU didn't play these games, yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, you had the chance to put yourself in the playoffs, and you didn't. And that is the end of the story. Yep. Because if Ohio State had played Alabama and lost, you the script would be flipped. And we, we would say you deserve to be in. And that's just that. We don't care about Ohio State. I don't, I don't give two shits. I mean, I want the Big Ten to be in, fine. But, like... If it had been different, I wouldn't be advocating for Ohio State. I do not care. So you had the chance, and you and you and you lost, and that's just it. Yeah, it's like I I understand Alabama's tough, but you were the guys who wanted to go to SEC. If you were still a Big Twelve school, maybe things would be different. Maybe you'd be undefeated, and maybe you'd be in. But uh, you you made your bed. You you had to sleep in it. Right, and being going to the playoffs is to win. It's not just to be in. Like that that can't be the goal. You know, you want to yeah. win. And it's not it's the NCAA like, tournament where like 68 teams and, and making the t- tournament for a lot of teams is the accomplishment. Like if there's four teams, you get to the final four, it it's about winning. Otherwise, it's disappointing. It's not like, oh, heck yeah, we made it. Like, yeah, agreed.
Agreed. All right. Well, lots of college football action Matt went through, and this weekend we'll have more. We'll preview it later this week. But right now, we're going to go through some college basketball action. It's been exciting. Uh, Some exciting uh, games. I'll go through them a little bit. Not going to go through all of them. Obviously, that would take 80 years. But we will go through some of the upsets. Every single college basketball game. Oh, yes. It was Western Illinois versus Bowling Green. (laughs) Uh, That's the game I want to talk about. what if you randomly said that and like for somehow they played this weekend? It was actually just like the most exciting game. A triple overtime buzzer beater or something. Triple overtime buzzer beater and then buzzer beater. There's point one left and then the guy gets fouled for three free throw shots to win the game. Yeah, absolutely. That's what's going to happen. No, uh, it, it, there was some good games, though. We'll start uh, with West Virginia playing Richmond. Richmond obviously getting the upset over Kentucky early. Ranked 19th. West Virginia, the Mountaineers, ranked 11th. They played each other, and it was not close. West Virginia went up by 22 in the first half, and it was easy from there. Miles McBride leading the way with 20 points on 9 of 11 shooting for the Mountaineers. You know, Richmond upset Kentucky earlier this season, but we've seen Kentucky underperform all season so far. How legit do you think Richmond's Richmond is? And I'm not saying that they're a contender, obviously not. But, like, you know, they, they came in, and they got ranked a little high, you know, how do we feel about Richmond? Are are they a team that you're you're looking to make any kind of upset noise in the in the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I mean, I, I still think they're they're a, a really good uh, mid major team. I, I like I I think this said a lot more to just like how how strong this West Virginia team is. Like, I, I think they're extremely strong defensively. They held Richmond to to six for twenty six from three point shooting, and you know Bob Huggins' teams normally don't have that explosive of an offense but but 87 points is that's 52 to 30 at half like they they just got on a roll and and they never looked back so I think I think Richmond is still fine and I Richmond is still someone that I I look as 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 a strong mid-major to to possibly you know be an 11 seed and and beat a six or something like that Uh, but I also think it's it's just a credit to to West Virginia like I think they're a legitimate big 12 contender yeah, agreed. I think West Virginia is going to be a good team. To, and and I mean, a credit to that program every year in and out. Very good uh, across the court. So um, congrats to the Mountaineers for sure. Uh, another upset that happened, not upset because the last one wasn't upset, but an upset that happened, uh, the fighting uh, Illini getting another loss. Uh, they upset are upset by Mizzou. You know, uh, Mizzou having a first half lead over the Fighting Illini, they get they hold on to that first half lead despite 36 points from Io DeSumo. Uh, wasn't enough for the Orange. Uh, Xavier Pinson with 18 points, Drew Smith with 18 points for Mizzou. You know, like I said, Io DeSumo getting a lot of points, uh, Kofi Cockburn getting a lot of points, but six players for Illinois combined for nine points. And now they have two losses really early on. How how uh, how worried are we about about this Big Ten team? Yeah, I mean we've talked about before of just like they're, they're they fall in love with being a jump shooting team. Uh, even Io Desunmu, he had a great game, of course, thirty six points. But like his his offense is, is so isolation ball. Like it, it, he doesn't really get his points in like the flow of a team offense. It's kind of just him going off and 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 doing his thing, uh, which which. I think worries you because that's not the type of offense. Like we even saw Damian Lillard as great as he is. And, and what a tear he was like being a jump shooter and trying to just shoot your way into wins eventually doesn't work. It just doesn't like that. Like you can be as good as a, a shooter as you want. Even Steph Curry misses sometimes. So I think 
their offense like presents themselves with with the opportunity to shoot them out of games a lot of times. But I think you know you you also have to give a lot of credit to Missouri. They they got three strong wins now against Illinois, Oregon, and Wichita State. And we talked about Kentucky struggling. Like the SEC looks wide open. Uh, and and we talked again too about the the incredible good news out of the Gators camp with Keontae Johnson, uh, you know, being healthier or being you know awake uh, out of his medically induced coma. But he he's got a long way back, and, and he's the SEC preseason player of the year. I, I I would be surprised if we see him playing for Florida again this year. So Tennessee right now is ranked tenth, and I and I think Missouri's got a, a great chance to to make a run for the SEC championship, which would be the first time they'd accomplish that since moving to the conference. Well, good for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I did not know that they hadn't won since moving to the conference. So yeah, I mean, they played really well. Like I said, they they had a really solid team, and like. You know, withstanding 36 points from Io Sumu, possibly the best scorer, you know, in the league is is like it's it's Whoa. hard. To, I I I didn't say best player. I I I I said mm, you're right. That's unfair. I uh, that's unfair. But uh, I, it's not unfair. I just am going to be such a Garza homer that I'm. Not, <laughs> there you go. There you I don't go. think what you said is ridiculous by any means. I just want. I just want to be a homer for Garza so much that uh, that's why I did it. You're like, oh, 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 there. Let's uh, let's all calm down. Let's all calm down. No, but uh, I, I, it's a hard one to to hold up against one of, one of the best scores in the in the league. You know, piling on 36 against you. Uh, and and they did it, and so it's a good, strong teams, and those are the teams that go far. They're not the teams that have one good player. They're the teams that are solid uh, down the stretch. So and even uh, Coburn like had a good game, but like, is that just what Illinois is? Like, if Illinois is going to be as good as they possibly can be, it can't just be a, a Coburn Dasunmu show. Like we talked about the Hawkeyes, the Hawkeyes can't just be the Luca Garza show if they're going to be a top ten, top five team. Like the, a great player can take you a lot of places. It, he can't take you everywhere by himself and so if the other guys for illinois don't show up like you said like combining for nine points between frazier williams and miller like that that can't be the the formula for them or else they they're not going to be that good exactly exactly and we'll see how they progress if they they you know early early picking so still have a lot of room to grow obviously but uh Troubling signs to start off with, for sure, for the for the orange out of Illinois. All right, and the last one kind of happening more recently, Marquette upsetting the number nine Creighton team, 89 to 84. They were actually down nine at half. Uh, DJ Carton with 20 points, Kobe McGowan with 18 points, Dawson Garcia with a double-double for Marquette. A lot of players contributing for that side. Meanwhile, Balak and Mahoney both had 20-plus points for the Blue Jays. Zagorowski had eight disappointing game for one of the best scorers in the league uh Marquette's now five and two Creighton's four and two you know Marquette you know they they are legit I, I this is I mean I knew it we knew it already we talked about how good Marquette was already but they beat Wisconsin and Creighton which shows that they are here to play they do have losses though right that 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 work that confuse you like they beat Wisconsin and Creighton and then they lose to OK State and UCLA and you're like, what? What's going on here? But I think that's that's the nature of the beast. Sometimes, you know, I, I think you do have good games and bad games when you don't have any like star talent to always win you every game. But they can play with the big boys. They really can. And and for Creighton, again, like the Fighting Illini, they were a team we were high on in preseason uh, kind of polls, and they have two losses already. 
What do we feel about the Blue Jays? Yeah, I mean, in the long run, I, I still think Creighton's the much better team between these two. I like, like you said, Marquette. They have two wins that are that are strong. Um, I, I'm not convinced Wisconsin's as good as as their preseason ranking was, and the loss to UCLA. Okie State's playing pretty good with Kate Cunningham, but they're not a great team. And the loss to UCLA, like. I, where does that come from? And I like Marquette just having such a sh- like a small rotation. I mean, they only played eight guys against Creighton. That's that's a tough thing to do for a, for a full year. I think they got a great chance to to probably get third in the Big East. I'm not sure they can really challenge Creighton and Villanova in the long run, but I do think they're a tournament team. And for Creighton, I mean, you said it. Zigarowski has to play better, and he's kind of had a slow start to this season from a guy that you know we were expecting so much from. He he himself was the preseason Big East Player of the Year, but Creighton's struggles kind of remind me of the Hawkeyes. And McDermott and and Fran McCaffrey are, are very similar in that they run some tremendous offensive systems, but the defense just isn't there a lot of times. And you give up 54 points in the second half, you're you're not going to beat anybody doing that. So Creighton has the offense. But if if they don't start committing to to more defensive effort, then they they're, they're going to lose to teams that they shouldn't lose to. Right, exactly. Got got to have both. That's why we see defensive teams going so far uh, more than offensive teams most of the time. And uh, yeah, it, it, Zigorowski has to play better. I mean, you were talking about Zigorowski. I remember how high you were on Zigorowski going into the season as, as like him, it was him to Sumu and Garza in your eyes. So I I agree that. Uh, Disappointing start uh, from the Blue Jays star, but especially when he's had so many like the other players, their team have been great. Like Denzel Mahoney's been great. Damian Jefferson's been great. Like the other guys have, have been playing terrific. So when, you know, the guy who's supposed to be your star is, is just not producing like, like you expect, like that's, that's tough. You you wonder like maybe if, if the expectations or something are, are getting to him or, or, or what it is, but uh, they, they're certainly going to need him to, to figure it out. Right. Yeah, and we'll see if he does. Again, early pickings, but early worries as well in Creighton. All right, and we, we would not be college basketball talk if we did not take a take a stop over to, to the basketball city of the world. That's right. It is Iowa City, Iowa, where the Hawks had another tear on the weekend. That's right. They had two 100-plus point games Back to back. They started off on Friday playing ISU. Their quote unquote rivals usually have their number in the basketball world. Not today. It was a 105 to 77 thrashing. They went to Ames. They it's like they took a they 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 basically were like, hey, 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 remember how this is all you have? Yeah, we're taking it from you. <laughs> we're taking it from you now. So uh it was really fun to watch. Garza with 34 points, Wieskamp with 16 points, Nunji with 17 points, great result. And then they go to Northern Illinois uh, and they play a 106 to 53 beast of a game. Garza with 23 points, Wieskamp with 20 points, Patrick McCaffrey with 14 players. I mean, it's really exciting to see Garza and Wieskamp performing as good as they did back to back. That's what we want. That's what will get us where we want to go. And they go to play Gonzaga this Saturday. You know, and 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 they are on a terrific tear of games. Gars is averaging, like you said, twenty nine point two points per game and nine rebounds, almost averaging a double double in that department. I I don't have much to say except let's fucking go, <laughs> dude. I think I think that kind of says it all. When you get a, a twenty eight point win and then 
you literally double the points of the other team you're playing. It, it just just two strong showings. Uh, the Northern Illinois game, it was it was a great chance for more guys to get some court court time. Uh, the freshman Tony Perkins, Aaron Eulis, um, Keegan Murray getting some more time, which is great, and and also you know letting Pat and and Nunji get back into the flow uh, of basketball. I mean, it's been a while since those guys have played because of injuries and it's, it, it takes some time to, to get back in, into, to game shape. So I think that was beneficial for that game. And yeah, I mean, you gotta love beating a rival like that. It was the biggest win in rivalry history, 28 points. And uh, I don't know if you remember this, Jan, but the last time there was a third ranked team in the Cyhawk game, we uh, were watching it together. We were a part of a festival at, at Iowa. And as always, I had sports on in the dressing room. And Iowa led most of the game in Hilton over at the third-ranked Iowa State. But before, I think like the start of the second half or whatever, I had to go perform my my small show because me and Yannick had – we were each part of a, a show. And, and there was what? A total of like four shows in that? Four or yeah. five? Mm-hmm. And four. uh so I had to go perform my show before the end of the game. Once I got off stage, I immediately ran to Yannick to find out the final score, like just being like, hey, so like we got the upset. We completed it, right? And his face told me everything right from the start. And he was just like, oh, I'm so sorry, man. Iowa State came back and won. And it was, it was so painful, but nice to get some revenge this week. Oh, man. Oh, I love, I love you, man. It's so, it's so nice. (laughs) I mean, it was a sad memory, but that I was like, wow, wow. We really, we really been through it together. (laughs) Yeah, we have, we have. uh, I know, you know what I led, you know, we didn't have fans at the, uh, at this game, but uh, I'm going to hope that our fans wouldn't storm the court after, you know, being the third ranked team at home. But I suppose that's just what little brother does. That's what little brother does. And they, and you know, they, they're quiet this week, that's for sure. They're quiet this week. They're just well, they're just all football fans now, especially oh after after K after K State beat them last night. Like I we can talk about this more later. I think Steve Prohm is gone. And if I'm Iowa State, I go see if Freddie Hoiberg wants to come back. Hey, there you go. There you go. Ames, take some advice from from a smart man right here. Uh yeah, I mean <laughs> This is why, people, this is why we have to hype it up because we've been through so much pain and Matt has been a fan longer. So we were talking about this uh, over text. Like my idea of, of Hawkeye basketball pain is, is apparently not even not even is laughable compared to what Matt has experienced. <laughs> it's not it's not even close to pain. It's I if you uh, I, I told Yannick about the, the lake ladder years and he was like, oh, I can go look up some highlights. I'm like, no, don't. It's it's it was the <laughs> darkest. I didn't even realize this. He was only there for three years, but it was the three most. I like they had thirty eight wins, I think, over that three years, and it was such a painful, crappy teams that I didn't never. I never imagined we would have a team this good. So it's uh, hey, but you you know you gotta you gotta deal with those down years to really uh, feel the the reward of of years like this. Right, exactly. Cause this this time next year. Matt will be will be singing the Manchester United praises. Will they'll be in the title race? They'll be in the. They'll, they'll Let's not get there. too crazy with it, Jan. <laughs> oh my goodness, no! But uh, yeah, we love it. This is why we love sports, and uh, yeah, exciting stuff for the Hawkeyes. Exciting stuff across college basketball. We will continue to follow it as the season progresses. Mm-hmm.